Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome everyone to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant, and I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007, and I'm the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage of recovery from sexual abuse. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at rachelgrantcoaching.com. Well, folks, today I am so excited to have here with me my guest, Amy Hoyt, who's going to be sharing with us about creating safety and intimacy in our relationships through what she calls benevolent curiosity. So if you've been following the podcast for any amount of time, you know that accessing curiosity and slowing down is a big, big piece of the puzzle. And I love adding in this word of benevolent, and we're going to unpack that and really dig into it. So Dr. Hoyt is the founder of Mending Trauma, a digital mental health company that specializes in trauma recovery. Her programs are co-designed to empower people to take charge of their trauma recovery through nervous system regulation and neuroplasticity. And you all know I love to geek out about all that. So we're going to have a good time today in our conversation. 
all of the tools that she's really learned and processed have helped her in her own healing from childhood sexual, physical, and emotional abuse, as well as domestic violence during her first marriage. She is passionate about teaching others to reprogram their brains and heal their nervous systems so they can overcome thoughts, triggers, and behaviors. She's done multiple research projects in Africa and North America. I feel like we need to have a whole separate episode about that. Oh my gosh, looking at trauma as, um, you know, the impact of trauma on agency, forgiveness, and social movements. And if that wasn't enough, she's been married for 23 years and has five babies. What? She is mama to five and just living life. So <laughs> Amy, I'm so glad to have you here with me. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, Rachel. I am so excited to be here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. We have, I mean, I feel like we're cut from the same cloth in a lot of ways. Like we just have geek out about a lot of the same things yep. and um, enjoy that. And it's so wonderful to me to think about how we can come from like just different spaces and places, but then, you know, kind of merge into this moment where here we've arrived to have this conversation. So our listeners know a lot about kind of my story and how I came to do the work that I do. Um, but how about you? Tell us more about your journey. Sure. Um, well, I would say in terms of becoming obsessed with trauma and the brain and healing, which of course manifests as an adult, that started way earlier when I was eight years old and was sexually abused by a foster boy who was living in the home. And like a lot of abuse, I, you know, didn't tell anyone and it went underground for a really, really long time. And then started having a lot of really complicated symptoms, including addiction in my teenage years. And when I was finally able to get sober, memory started coming back of the abuse. And that was, of course, very difficult, but such a gift to be able to access sobriety when I was 19. Um, I feel so blessed that I was able to have that experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Hard I just, one. I mean, I was so angry that my parents identified that I had an addiction, but looking back, it was, it was amazing. So that was when I first started getting help and of course went the talk therapy route, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but really didn't do enough healing to make a, enough changes in my brain and nervous system and ended up in, at a pretty young age at 20 marrying an abusive partner and, you know, the cycle continuing. So I began college after my divorce. When I was in my mid twenties, I thought maybe I should go to college. That seems like a good idea. I should figure out how to live independently and get my education. And that really brought me into um, the world of academia and approaching problems from science, but also I used a lot of intuition because of my lived experience at that point. And I was able to go and get my bachelor's and two masters and a PhD and find myself eventually researching mass trauma. And I just, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it was, it shouldn't, I think on paper, it seems like it's, it's too hard to work in that arena of national conflict and with, yeah. you know, all of the atrocities that happened with, yeah, yeah, in genocide yeah. and apartheid. 
Right. Um, but I do believe that, um, that it was just, I had been prepared for that. Not that it was, you know, God's will that I was abused, but I was able to use my formative experiences of abuse as well as the healing, as well as the education and begin to study. How do we move past the most horrific atrocities? How do we gain more agency when we know that we go on autopilot from some of those traumas and how do we start to move past in our relationships? And that led me into working with individuals and really putting it all together. And so for the last few years, um, along with my sisters, I have been working with individuals, helping them recover from trauma. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. You know, I, I really resonate with the idea of, well, you know, where can this lived experience become a resource to me in my life rather than just a hindrance, yeah. a blockade, an obstacle? I really love that you brought in the word agency. Uh, I think it's, it's such a critical concept of reclaiming a sense of choice, reclaiming a sense of autonomy, um, being able to be in our adult self and not in our, you know, victim self and wounded self, you know, and noticing when that's happening and how to shift out of that. So, yeah. so critical. And when we think about the concept and the idea of generating safety, I'm going to put something on the table. Let's just, let's just ping a little bit. Let's play a little game. So yeah. to me, Safety is an internal process. Mm -hmm. It's something that is generated internally, whereas support is external. We look to others around us to support us. But our sense of safety is something that we create internally. Okay, true, false, yes, no, what do you think? I totally agree. In fact, you know, my sisters and I, we talk about this all the time internal locus of control versus external mm. locus of control. And when we cultivate an internal locus of control, we are cultivate, cultivating safety within ourselves. We're developing a deep foundation of knowing ourselves, having boundaries, making choices. And that is when I believe we are most um, capable of choosing partners that we can then form um, relationships that are built on support and trust and all of the joy that we're all seeking so desperately for, right? Mm, 100% yeah, agree that. with you. It is yeah. an inside job. <laughs> yeah. Which sometimes we were like, well, damn it. It's if I don't already have enough things to work on, right? Like, well, yes. like, something can just be handed to me or be the responsibility of other people around me. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about the other day, and I, I mentioned in one of my, um, you know, YouTube channels or posts was the idea that, you know, we experience abuse in the context of someone else not protecting us. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there is this lack of safety. So it's understandable how we could think that, well, if the lack of safety occurs from something external happening, then my sense of safety must then necessarily also come from something external. That's right. But yeah, we want to rewire that because we want that. I love it. What did you call it? The internal locus of, I want to say control. power. But I don't think yeah. Control. Of control. Yeah. yeah. Power, choice, control. 
um, that, oh my gosh, when you have that centered and locked and loaded, then you're able to walk out into the world and you're able to feel like I can navigate relationships. I can protect myself. I can take care of me. And that doesn't mean that bad things might, are not going to happen, Exactly. but it's that sense of how do I get to react and respond to that? Um, and, and navigate that situation. Absolutely. And you know, one thing that occurs to me as you're talking, Rachel, is that when we are abused, especially as children, but really at any age, because we lost a sense of control, a lot of times we start to externalize that. And that is our brain trying to keep us safe, but we know the brain is amazing and brilliant but also not accurate at assessing threat, especially after we've had trauma. And so then we start thinking, well, if I organize my towels, I'm safe. I mean, it's all subconscious, right? Hello, square drawer (laughs) all day, every day. None of it's conscious, but it's that external control. Like, Uh, and if you don't chew with your mouth open, I'm thinking of like my kids or something, uh, I won't be irritated, right? Because trauma shows up in the everyday. That's how it shows up, right? That is, did y'all catch that? That is super important because I get that question all the time. Like, why do I have to have things just so? Why do I have to like always have things in their proper place? Why does my partner leaving a towel on the floor make me lose my shit? right? All of those kinds of things. It is, it's again, that externalizing idea of Mm -hmm. like, if I get all of these things just right, then I am safe. Yes. And it's a lie. (laughs) It's a lie. It's a lie. lie. (laughs) Until we cultivate that internal safety, that internal control, that internal agency, that's true empowerment and true safety, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So now I'm going to throw a little wrench in, which is oftentimes in the context of relationship, we'll hear and people say things like, I don't feel safe in the relationship. Mm -hmm. You don't make me feel safe Mm -hmm. in the relationship. So what do we do about that? Because yeah, this is such a good question. Okay. And again, we talk about this all the time, my sisters and I, because, you know, we grew up in the same family and we are navigating abuse as adults and helping other people. And so this is, this is our small talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One thing we talk about is safety actually isn't a feeling. It's been co-opted in the language of feelings in our universe, but feelings are usually, um, emotions. And there's actually a whole research project that's been done about emotions and where they show up in the body. And it's stuff like joy, sadness, happiness. Safety is not actually an emotion. It doesn't have a physical um, correlative in the body. Correct. Although when we do have that sense of safety, our nervous system is calm. And so there is a calming effect. So first of all, it's not theoretically a feeling, but we all know what we mean when we say, I don't feel safe. Yeah. Um, what we, I believe what we want to do in relationships is instead of saying, you make me feel unsafe or you're making me, obviously that's, a, I think that's a problem in the first place because we're shifting ownership Yeah. and Agreed. feelings are ours. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel, and this is like 
12 step 101. I swear I learned that. I can't remember, yeah. you know, it's all con getting sober at 19. It's like, was that a 12 step meeting or the group therapy I went to for six months? But that, you know, the origin of idea gets harder. Yeah. And harder. Like, Especially yeah. As get further, further from yeah. The moment. yeah. Yeah. So those I feel statements are very um, important because they were owning the feelings. So yeah. I feel scared when you mm. raise your voice. Mm-hmm. I think that is a more productive sentence yeah. than you make me feel unsafe. Yeah. Um, and one thing I noticed in our culture that uh, does concern me is um, the feeling of safety has become very nebulous to the point where if someone gives you a side eye, you don't mm-hmm. feel safe. And mm-hmm. I believe what we're seeing is an elevation, a dysregulation of nervous systems, um, especially after the pandemic. And we have, there's a lot going on in our modern world and a lot of people, their nervous systems are pretty dysregulated. And so again, the brain is seeing threat everywhere. Yep. And tigers looks the same as a side eye. I mean, it feels the same, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It does. So I, yeah. I think that's when we start taking ownership of feeling and identifying um, why the feeling is coming up. It's twofold because we are in relationship. So we're asked, we're taking responsibility for the feeling, but we're also in a dyad saying, I think I need something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, mm-hmm. you know, um, I would like it if you didn't that's raise your voice. Okay. Okay. Yes. That, what that just pinged for me was the difference between, uh, recognizing I am safe. I am not safe versus I feel scared. I feel threatened. I feel unheard. I feel unseen and that, yeah, I like the way of distinguishing the language, even when we're trying to communicate what's going on. Um, because I, if we, if we take this the next step up, like internally, I am safe because I have empowered choice. Yes. If you are yelling at me, I can leave. Yes. I can walk out. 100%. And I'll be sensitive for sure within the context of DV relationships. It doesn't always work like that. Absolutely. There could be way more limit, you know, escalations and limitations. Absolutely. And I, I really understand those those limitations that are there. But that if we can get our language to the place of what am I actually feeling and the cause of the feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that that's, it makes me also think if somebody says to me, you don't make me feel safe or I feel unsafe around you, I can't really hear that. Mm-hmm. That's really hard to even absorb because gosh, that makes, I'm a monster mm-hmm. or I'm like this terrible human being or like what is going on? And now I want to defend my, like my, my morality. Your, yeah. Your right. whole persona. Well, yeah. And how do you I fix that? When you raise your voice, it, it scares me. Mm-hmm. I can lean into that. I yeah. can receive it. I can hear Same. that. And we can do something about yeah. that. Right. I can then yes. take ownership. And as the person, you know, I've got five kids. Um, I grew up in a pretty chaotic family of origin where DV was common. So we had a mm. lot going on. Obviously I am changing patterns, but sometimes I mess up and I raise my voice. Yeah. And so sometimes I'm the one being told like, mom, I didn't like it when you you're, why are you raising your voice? Yeah. And so I think it also requires a level of humility. Um, For sure whether 
we're the ones who need to apologize or whether we're the ones that need to speak up. If we can approach these conversations in our relationships, because relationships are about connection. That's that second biological drive that is just so important. Yeah. Right. So we need to survive, but then we need to connect. And so we want to approach our relationships with an intent to reconnect and repair. And Mm. I think for Mm. me, and I'm not perfect at this, but if we can approach those conversations with as much nervous system regulation and humility as possible, they're going to go so much better. And it's okay to say, you know what, right now I'm feeling really activated. Can we address this tomorrow? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So we, oftentimes people will say, like, I don't even want to get into a relationship. Like there's so many things that feel so overwhelming and so taxing. And, um, you know, it feels like a threat from the start, right. Just to Mm -hmm. even like go on the date, even set up the profile, like all the things. And so what do you think about the, the kind of necessary steps or what does one need to kind of navigate in that context to even allow them to release some of those fears, anxieties, blocks about inviting in and taking the risk, taking the chance. Absolutely. You know, um, we see this a lot with trauma and of course, um, as anyone who has been sexually abused knows it, we are wired where relationships feel unsafe from the get-go. And so one of the best ways that we advise our clients is that the brain loves micro steps Mm -hmm. and the brain does not feel as threatened when we just take small action. And so um, we want to work within our window of tolerance, right? We all have a window of tolerance and we want to work right at the edge when it's, when it's risky, when we're, I mean, starting a new relationship is really hard. So if we can just take one small step, I remember after my first marriage, I had a best friend and I was in graduate school in in Minnesota. And she said, we need to get you an online profile. And so (laughs) I wrote an online profile that was basically (laughs) like, leave me alone. (laughs) I mean, it was, there were so many. I'm here, but I'm not here. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, I'm a feminist and, and, you know, like basically stay away, stay away. I mean, this is 25 years ago. Right. And, um, she read, you know, so for me, the micro step was writing that profile and having my friend help me with it. Cause she read it and was like, I hear what you're doing here. Um, and let's, let me wordsmith this a little bit. And so I think that's a great first step. If you're worried about writing a profile, First of all, no, you never have to answer any communication from anyone. So the micro step is just getting yourself to be present with the idea Mm -hmm. of being open, but you don't have to actually communicate, have a friend help you just with accountability. Um, I happened to meet my husband online and for us email, you know, this is of course back in the day, email which would now be in-app messaging was how we did it for months. Mm -hmm. We didn't even meet in person for months because my nervous system couldn't handle it. Right. And so again, that's that self empowerment that you were talking about. I love that. Yeah. We get to choose. 
we get to choose that i mean exactly there's the the place in which we surrender to the expectations of others of society and even maybe expectations we put on ourselves but when we can step into that space of empowered choice and say you know what i get to go at my pace and if this person doesn't want to roll with me for months just by no email bye bye mm-hmm. see you later that's you right. know, like I do not have to, you know, meet the the pace of the other person. I really That's get right. to establish for myself. That's and, right. you know, I think that for for many people who have experienced abuse and trauma is really where the magic happens is when that pacing piece mm-hmm. is, you know, worked on. Because oftentimes I know in my own life, right, I was in moments of, you know, desperation for wanting to be loved and nurtured and seen as like good enough and wanted. And yes. so, you know, any moment of like, oh, you looking to me? Oh, you talking to me? Okay, oh, great. Yeah. Well, yeah. Together and we're gonna do this. Like, I mean, it was just like like, you know, like I just suck it in real fast, you know, and I didn't understand how to take my time and establishing connection and establishing, you know, understanding, like, what can I really count on this for or not? And who is this person really? Um, and then I would become so enmeshed that when things started to go very wrong, well, I'm enmeshed. And I've said, this is my person. And so now I've, you know, all of that. And that made it, you know, very difficult for me. That was one of the pieces of the puzzle for, you know, why I was in a 10 year uh, relationship where there was physical and verbal abuse. This idea of like, well, I committed. So I guess I've just got to figure it out now. Yeah. 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 Well, and I love what you're saying about um, taking the time and slowing it down and not worrying about others' expectations as well as our own, because I was raised not I don't think anyone was trying to cram it down my throat, but I definitely got the message that at a certain age you get married and this is what dating looks like. And this is what marriage looks like. And especially in a religious community, um, it can be very, you don't get divorced. There's a lot of different expectations. And so when we can work on our own past, which I know you're excellent at with your clients. I mean, that is why they're coming to work on their own past of sexual abuse. We are then able to approach relationships almost from a little bit more neutral position instead of that. Love me, love me desperation. Cause I felt that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Honestly believe no one else would love me. And so I had to just go with this person. For sure. Yeah. And for me, that was a big part of healing the abandonment wound because I started to understand that I was operating in my relationships through the lens of the loss of protection and and safety. And I was trying to get my partner to soothe that. But when I began to understand that actually I'm an adult, I have choice. I'm not dependent upon anyone else for my safety or my protection. Yeah. Then I was able to step out of those dynamics, those, the, the dysregulated dynamics that were happening and come in more as an equal into the partnership. Now I still had to deal with the fear of losing a connection because that's still there. Right. And can lead us to do very real, you know, struggle with, but I, yeah, I stayed in that space and Exactly. Is this where the benevolent curiosity comes in? Is that yeah. neutrality? Let's, let's unpack that. I want to get yeah, into that. Yeah. Yeah. So benevolent curiosity is a tool we use. My sister actually came up with it and she's amazing and brilliant. She's a licensed therapist in the state of California and my partner with mending trauma. And her name is Lena. 
And um, it's a tool we use because when we become the observer of our own behavior, we're able to get out of that survival mechanism, that limbic response when we're feeling really um, almost above our window of tolerance, when we're feeling overwhelmed, which being in relationships can feel super overwhelming when we have been abused. So when we start to be curious, but we are benevolent about it. In other words, we are lovingly curious about what's happening. Why am I so upset? Why am I afraid he or she is going to leave me? Why am I feeling this sense of desperation in my body right now to make sure that they commit to me? We can be curious and that is an amazing tool, but when we add the loving curiosity, we're we're reparenting ourselves in that question, right? And I know how much you love reparenting and I, I've loved seeing your series about that, but we're really telling little Rachel, little Amy, like, hey, what's going on here? And I didn't grow up with that environment. It was a lot more stern, but oh my goodness, the work of reparenting and attending to my little Amy who just wants to be loved. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's the benevolence, that self-love with our curiosity. Isn't that something? That is not where I thought that was going to go, but I really love it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I can really take this in. I love that. The combination of like, I am going to slow myself down and get curious about my response, my reaction in this moment and send that loving tenderness rather than shaming it blaming it making it bad or wrong and then we can utilize that maybe when thinking about the choices or behaviors of others as well helps us kind of slow down what's going on for them they're not just here trying to attack me or make me the bad guy right all of that and I think for me in my journey Rachel and I don't know if this happened to you but I couldn't extend empathy in my relationships until I learned to extend that love to myself I, I just couldn't access it. All I could access was criticism because I was yeah. so self-critical. Self-critical. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think the way that that lands for me is I'm thinking what it brought up was the idea that I was very convinced that um, like I had lots of doubts about my, my own worth, my own capacity, um, and so therefore, if I'm doubting that in myself, it just caused me to doubt, well, where is this person? Surely this person is coming from an inauthentic place too, or this person is trying to trick me. I know there are things I feel like I'm hiding and not being authentic about. So surely they're, they're doing that as well. Mm-hmm. And so it would create a lot of that, you know, contention in the relationship yeah. and suspicion. Yeah, yeah. A lot of that, just like always having to feel like I have to watch and I have to, and I have to manage. Yeah. Yes. Like the, the, the circumstances that of external the external locus of control, which is, which yeah. is false. We actually I'm can't false. control anyone. I'm false y'all. Better get I it mean, oh girl. Yeah. It's an illusion. Yeah. Even, yeah, you know, such an illusion. with children, I, especially with anyone, with a partner, with a coworker, it's an illusion. We cannot control anyone else. And that's why I'm yeah. so um, impressed with your sense of internal safety. I think that you've just hit gold with that, truly. 
cool. Yeah, I mean, kudos to you. I love this this the place, and it feels so fundamentally different. You know, when people are like, "Well, Rachel, what does it mean to heal trauma, or what does it mean to be healed?" You know, what does that actually really look like? For me, it it really often comes down to my internal sense of self is not it's not perfect but more often than not my internal sense of self is from a a lens of self-identity self-choice um taking responsibility an internal sense of you know i have to own and you know be responsible for the part that i'm playing Mm -hmm. and you know i'm human so i can get as wrapped up in the you made me feel and you're doing it to me totally all of that is anybody else you know but being able to pause that and slow that down and get perspective on that has been you know just a game changer and that is when I feel like we've moved past the programming right and we've you know turned the dial down on all of that old programming that made us feel so just at risk and vulnerable and exposed and threatened um you know, in the beginning because of the trauma. So 23 years married, I have to ask anyone who's made it for more than a decade, (laughs) what's the magic? Yeah. How do you, how do you, you know, what do you love about marriage? What do you love about being in relationship? What, you know, makes it sustainable for you? How do you show up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love this question. Um, the magic is in the work. Um, we do a date night without fail every single week. We do not ever miss. Um, the first 10 years of our marriage without fail, because we've missed now, but the first 10 years, we never missed every single night before we went to sleep. We would say three things that we appreciated about each other that day. And yeah. we got in the habit of calling out what we liked about each other Mm -hmm. every single day and there were nights where I would sit there because I was so angry about something or you know and I would just have to think and I'd be like I like that you put your socks in the dirty clothes today (laughs) (laughs) come on I love it though right little things yeah gratitude and appreciation it's huge Yeah. It's It's so easy to start taking people for granted Mm -hmm. and, you know, and and lose sight of, Mm -hmm. you know, the love that we hold for them. And we get, you know, we end up getting centered on their failings or their flaws or, you know, the what's not working. And so I love that along with the commitment of like, you know, separate emotional time, Mm -hmm. time where you can create that emotional intimacy, right. And, and psychological intimacy of being together. Yeah. Yeah. We've Beautiful. done therapy. I would say about every five mm-hmm. years, we do a round of therapy to sharpen Love some that. skills. Um, yeah. Our skill set, our, our hardest challenge has been communication um, and yeah. just communicating past each other. We're saying the same thing and it'll just go past one another. Mm-hmm. And so we, about every five years, we need to go back and find someone who's going to help us with those skills. And we both need skills. Yeah. Uh, And so approaching therapy as gaining skills instead of some sort of moral failing Mm -hmm. uh, 
keeps us Ooh, going. Say that again. <laughs> it is so critical. It is, and I will say that in my partnership, when I was able to frame therapy coaching exactly through that lens of like, well, when you wanted to get really good at archery, you went and spent all the time on the archery field and you watched all the YouTubes and you did all the things. Yes. So if you want to get good at communication, you're going to find the expert. Yeah. And then it finally clicked. Yeah. My partner, right? Like, oh, this isn't just like rehashing all the past or sitting in a room and talking about how terrible we each are exactly (laughs) that it is skills building and I love that beautiful intention of like you know what we have to refresh that Mm -hmm. um and we have to be reminded sometimes and you know even for you know like I often am in that boat of like well I know all the tools but sometimes I don't use all the tools and I need to be reminded and I need external perspective and reflection and these sorts of things that help hold you know me accountable as well which is yeah super important yeah dr amy i could talk to you for like another five (laughs) hours i believe you know there's just so much for that we that we could really unpack and i know we've just you know touched the surface i want you to say as as we're wrapping up uh, a little more about your website, Mending Trauma, because it is a unique thing um, that you're creating and, and putting out there in the world. So tell people a little bit more about that and, and what they can gain access to by going sure. to Mending Trauma. Absolutely. So we started Mending Trauma so that people could have a digital platform to work on their trauma. And, you know, as you know, the emerging research because of what happens in our body and our brain shows that talk therapy, while it's wonderful, is not the most effective for healing trauma. In fact, we want to do nervous system work as you do. We want to do some cognitive work. We want to do some somatic therapies. Um, And of course, EMDR is one of the most effective tools um, right now for working on trauma. And so we wanted to combine the most effective trauma recovery tools into a digital platform. And that is what we did. So we have a program that's for women and we have a program that's for men and it's called the whole health lab because we do look at mind, body, and spirit and look at Mm. that integration as we recover from trauma. Powerful. Yeah, beautiful. So pop over to mendingtrauma.com if you want to find um, Dr. Amy on Instagram. It's at mendingtrauma. Also the same on Facebook. So final thought. If you were, you know, wanting to leave our listeners just with one, like if you don't remember anything else from what I want to share or said today, what's the bottom line? Oh, there's so much hope for relationships. There's so much hope for reconnection and repair. Um, I I feel so strongly about that. And I want you to take one tiny, tiny step towards that because even if it's just learning to believe, it's so powerful, but there is absolute hope. Yeah, well, cheers to that. We love some hope over here and beyond surviving. It is key. It is the first step. It is the gateway to everything else. So- believe reconnection connection repair relationship it's accessible it totally is out there and doable beautiful dr amy thank you again for the gift of your time and your expertise and your wisdom i look forward to staying in touch and uh yeah just thank you so much thank you rachel 
And thank you everybody for tuning in and joining us today. Um, as always, you can pop over to rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and explore the resources on the site. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and then come back next time because we have so much more to share. And until then, take good care of you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.